Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Let me invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're continuing in a series of messages in the Gospel of Luke. And we are going to pick up where we left off last week. We looked at verses 1 through 4, the model prayer uh, of Christ given to the disciples in answer to the question, Lord, teach us to pray. This morning we're going to look at verses 5 through 13 where Jesus continued this wonderful subject of prayer. Remember the series of our messages we entitled in the series, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, demonstrated throughout the Gospel of Luke. Before we read our passage this morning, I want to ask you a question. What do you think about God? What do you think about God? You may say, Pastor, that's a strange question. What would we be here today? Why would we be here if we didn't think much of God? Let me, let me ask it a, a, a sort of a different way. Perhaps, what is your view of God? And I want to ask, do you have a biblical view of God? Do you have a high view of God? We sang this morning about the glory of Christ being the passion of the church. Well, again, this is a message about prayer. And again, that may, you may ask, what does that, how does that relate to the subject of prayer, or what Jesus is going to be teaching us here? Well, let me share this quote with you from Pastor John MacArthur, because we I think as you see this passage this morning, our understanding of God and our view of God have much to do with our view of prayer and our effectiveness in prayer. John MacArthur said, there is no clearer, more definitive benchmark of a person's spiritual maturity than his or her view of God. So let me ask this way again. Do you believe that God is all-powerful? Do you believe that God is all knowing? Do you believe that he is loving? Do you believe that he is holy? Do you believe that he, as we sang today, is righteous in all his ways? Do you believe that God is sovereign? What does that mean? I hear you use that word sometimes, Pastor. That means I I like the simple definition of he's ruling and overruling. Again, that means that nothing has ever occurred to God. That means that that God has never called an emergency session of the Trinity. God is sovereign. And even in this world we live in, the week before the most bizarre national election in my history, and I've only been around 58 years But some of you would say, hey, I've been here a lot longer, Pastor, and it's the most bizarre in my history, too. Maybe the most bizarre in our U.S. history, which is in God's economy is not really that long, right? But you know what? None of this has shocked God. God is going to be on his throne the day before and the day after the election. Hallelujah. Amen. I didn't even plan to say that this morning. But God is sovereign. God is ruling and overruling, and with whoever, whether it's one of the two primary candidates or, or somebody else who is going to be the next president of the United States, all of that is going to be working toward God's 
sovereign purpose. All right, you say, well then, Pastor, why do we pray? If God is sovereign, God's in control, God is ruling and overruling, and it's all working toward his good, then why do we do that? Well, what effect does prayer have? Well, you know what is exciting? Prayer is a part of God's ordained means to accomplish his purposes. And as James says, the effective, New King James, and King James adds the word fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Wow. That means that prayer is God allowing us to get in on his eternal purpose and plan. Wow. Prayer is big. Prayer is huge. Then why do we ignore it and why do we neglect it? Dear friend, when you realize that God, this big God that we serve, is allowing us to get in on his eternal purpose and his eternal plan, and the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And God is using us to help accomplish and fulfill his eternal purposes. Wow. Imagine that. Well, with that in mind, would you look with me there at this passage, Luke chapter 11, and we're going to pick up this morning with verse number 5 and read through 11. And if you're able now, I'd invite you to stand with me together as we read this passage of Scripture together. I'm going to be reading from the New King James translation. Luke 11, following up now, Jesus just teaching the disciples that model prayer, the disciples' prayer, family prayer. In verse 5 of Luke 11, he says, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he, that is the fellow in the home, will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or, or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? From this passage, I want to bring a message entitled, Don't Give Up, Keep On Praying. Let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for this time of worship we've enjoyed today. Lord, we thank you for these songs we've sung that glorify Jesus. Maybe to some they're new, maybe to some they're different. But Lord, we, we acknowledge they exalt Christ. So we thank you 
that we've been able to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we continue in this spirit of worship in spirit and in truth as we open the word of God together. And we ask that you, Holy Spirit, who are present among us, who has been given to us by the gracious love and grace of our Father, Lord, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are our teacher, and we wait on you now to speak to us through this word that you've given to us, that you've inspired. We pray for fresh anointing on your messenger today and fresh illumination on every hearer today so that we may receive, Lord, uh, with open heart and mind the word of God, that we may not merely be hearers of the word, but that we might be obedient doers of the word of God, that we may be faithful to persevere in prayer in these dark days. Thank you, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Draw people to Christ who don't know you. Accomplish your will this morning as people are even now praying for your power this morning. We pray it believing in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Jesus followed this uh, abbreviated, if you will, disciples' prayer. We also called it model prayer, family prayer, often called the Lord's prayer, but really more rightly uh, defined by those terms. And again, with that, following that, then he gives this parable that we've read this morning and these two illustrations of why we should keep on praying and not give up. And again, in doing so, he's magnifying the nature of God. He's magnifying the nature of God. And again, why, knowing the nature of God, knowing the sovereignty of God, why we should keep on praying, understanding that God has allowed us the privilege of being a part of his plan. So if, if you will look with me, uh, three uh, simple uh, yet profound truths and, th- and reasons to keep on praying, not giving up, keep on praying with confidence. First of all, keep on praying with confidence in God's willingness. Keep on praying in confidence with, in, in God's willingness. And again, I want to remind you, as we think about the, the nature of God, you know, I, I've often said uh, that um, probably one of the most profound truths and prayers that we learn as little children is probably what we learned to pray for the blessing when we were little children. If you, if you grew up in a home and the parents let the children pray, and it was, can you say it with me? God is great. God is good. Uh, You know, all right, you don't have to pray the rest of it. Uh, You'll get hungry and you'll want to leave me, uh, whatever, this morning. Um, uh, But but just realizing those two profound truths and, and really meaning that and believing that, what a difference that will make. And again, we saw last week that that prayer, this model prayer begins with uh, with Father, hallowed be your name. So prayer is to be above all God-centered, not me-centered. And, and Jesus told, and James rather, told us that one of the reasons that, that oftentimes we don't receive the answer to our prayers is we pray me-centered prayers. That we, we, we pray these prayers in order to be able to what? He says consume them in our own desires. We want, we want, we want, we want. And, uh, and that's the way a lot of people, by the way, are facing this upcoming election. What's in it for me? How can I benefit the most? And, and when you have a, that kind of an attitude in prayer, that's a prayer killer. You're not going to know the, the effect and the blessing of answered prayer. That's, again, why we begin with, hallowed be your name. And again, in, in, the, in the Matthew uh, passage in which Jesus 
another time taught the model, the, uh, model prayer. He, can, he closes that model prayer by saying, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So prayer is, first of all, God-centered. Again, a simple definition of prayer is prayer is worship. Prayer is worship. It's all about God, not all about you or not all about me. And so again, we should keep on praying with confidence in God's willingness. Now this parable, again, magnifies God's willingness by showing a certain man's unwillingness. And really, to understand the fullness of this parable, you need to understand something about the culture. So, so let me encourage you today, put your place in the, in the, in the man's shoes or the sandals or whatever um, of this man and, uh, and uh, of his culture. That'll help you to understand. Uh, remember, uh, just imagine now, put yourself there, and it, 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 this desperate man about midnight, he gets a knock on the door. Someone's at his door, and it's a friend that's come on a long journey. He hadn't had anything to eat. He's worn out. He's, he's so hungry. And, you know, the only bread you had in your home that night, you consumed at the evening meal. And you have nothing to offer your friend. Remember the culture now. You can't run out. Uh, Kroger wasn't invented yet, all right? There is no uh, all-night store. Uh, there is no local market. There is no convenience store. Uh, you can't, uh, you can't just, can't, you don't have any loaves of bread. You have to bake it every day. That's why, again, give us this day, our daily bread each day. So, so picture that. So here he is, and, and then understand that hospitality was a very, very, very vitally important part of their culture here in Israel among God's people. And so here you are, you have this hungry, tired guest, and you have nothing to feed him. And so what do you do? Well, here he is. So he says, man, my goodness. Oh, I know. And so he immediately goes to his friend's home and uh, because he knew that, that he smelled bread baking earlier that day. So, you know, you go to that home. Again, you're putting yourself in his place, in his culture, and you go to the door. You know all his family's asleep. You know that in their culture and in their times, you know, they just had one home. They had one room. You know, you would talk about one bedroom, two bedroom, three. No, one bedroom, one room, okay? And everything, everybody's in there asleep together. You know that. And, and, and so, but, but you go to the door knowing this is your friend, and you say, hey, not wanting to wake everybody up, but hoping you'll wake up those, hey. He doesn't hear you, so you get a little louder. You get a little louder. And then uh, you say, finally, you made enough noise where he says, who is it? And you say, yeah, hey, hey, it's me. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a neighbor here. I've got a guest here who's come. He's been on a long journey, and I had nothing, no food to give him, no bread. Could you please give me some bread for my guest? And then you are shocked at his response. He says, the door is locked. The kids are in bed with me, and, and, and I can't do it. I just can't do it. And you are shocked. Well, you know he's, you know he's probably right he, he, that everybody's asleep. You, don't, you didn't want to disturb him, and you're ashamed to be asking him, but, but you're more ashamed that you would have to turn your guest away. And you know what? Not only was, would he be shocked to have heard that, but those people that Jesus was telling that story to would be shocked. Because you see, again, hospitality is so important. And, and not only was it important for you, it was important for you to help your neighbors out, to help them be hospitable. 
And so those people would think, my goodness, what kind of friend is that who wouldn't give his friend bread when he had bread to give him? I mean, yeah, we know they're all to bed. We know you'll wake them up. We know it's hard to get the door open. We know all those things, but my goodness, that's a shame. That's a disgrace. But do you think that friend says, okay, I'll go try another neighbor? No way. Because he says, hey, 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 I, I got to have this bread. I can't go away. So this exchange continues. No, I can't do it. I mean, I can't do, wake up the kids. I can't do this. By this time, the kids are starting to wake up. By this time, you know, the animals are starting to wake up all around you. I mean, you know, and, and listen, they were living close together, so there were other people all around them. And, you know, but you think he stopped and gave up then? No. He went, man, I got to have this bread. You can't turn me away. I can't do this to my friend, my guest. He's been traveling. He's hungry. And so finally, after asking and seeking and knocking, finally this guy says he's not going away. So he gets up out of bed. All the kids, some of them are crying by this time. I mean, you know, he comes to the door. He opens the door. And he's got bread. And he said, how much bread do you need? Take all you want. Please take this bread so I can go back to bed and try to get my kids back to sleep. So the guy walks away with his bread. Do you think he, he's, he's, yeah, sure, he feels badly about waking up his friend and the way he responded. But you know what he's feeling? He's feeling joy. Yeah, there was a little bit of shame there maybe, but nothing compared to the shame he would have had to going to his hungry friend and saying, I have nothing to give you. You know what? Again, folks, this is a comparison. This is a comparison, if you will, more of a contrast. Jesus is saying, God is not like that friend. God is not like that. You know, here, here's a man, and Jesus describes here, here's a, here's a fa- friend. He didn't respond to you because he was your friend. Why did he respond to you? He responded to you because you kept on asking and seeking and knocking, and he knew the only way to get rid of you was to give you that bread and send you on your way. And Jesus even used a word here. Uh, it's a word translated persistence. It's translated impudence. I believe it's the only time it's used in Scripture. And it literally means shameless, shamelessness. Again, there in, in, in verse 8, Jesus said, I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because of he's a friend, yet because of his persistence or shamelessness, he will rise and give him as many as he Needs. And again, this word means even to the point of being overly aggressive. And I think you probably would agree that, that that's the way he was, that was the way he was acting, overly aggressive in, in demanding this bread from his friend. And he's saying to you, God the Father is not like that. He is not reluctant. He, he is not wanting to send you away. He is not being disturbed by your asking, even by your continual asking. He's not disturbed. God is willing. God is a cheerful giver. He's a generous giver. Is he not, friends? Is that not his nature? And you see, sometimes he, Jesus is wanting us to see, don't have those wrong attitudes about God, about his nature about his loving nature, his giving nature, his generous nature. Again, his, his willingness to give to you. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, not only does he give, he gives wisdom as we need it. 
any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously for without reproach to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Dr. Phil, my, one of my professors in seminary said that without reproach means kind of a paraphrase of that. He won't fuss at you for asking. It's okay. God wants you to ask. He's a willing giver. He wants you to come. He wants you to ask these things. You're not going to pester him. And he's also, Jesus is also not teaching us here in this parable that the way you get prayer answered is you pester God. And it doesn't matter what it is. If you ask God enough, uh, God's going to give it to you, even if it's not his, his will. You know, sometimes make, I've heard people make this statement, oh, 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 be careful what you ask. Like, for example, people will say, don't ask God for patience. You ever heard anybody say that? It's going to be rough. Well, look, you know what that's kind of saying? You can't really trust God. Watch out. You know, uh, God's going to make it hard on you. What are we doing? We're questioning the nature of God. Uh, God, is, God is a willing God, and we can trust Him. We'll see that more in a moment. But again, what is He saying here? When we're praying in the will of God, or at least asking the Father for something that is not inconsistent with His will and His Word, we should keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. We'll see that in a moment. We should do that until God answers or until God redirects us in our praying, until God shows us that we are to pray in another direction. Uh, and, and so, again, just keep that in mind and keep this in mind as you keep on praying. God's delays, someone shared this with me a couple of weeks ago, God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Now, they could be, but not necessarily. And so that's, again, we're going to say in a moment why, why, how, we, how we need to pray. So keep in mind the, the willingness of God. Another promise is found in Psalm 84, 11, a verse I've been knowing for many, many years. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is willing. So again, keep on Praying confident in God's willingness. Jesus taught another parable. We'll see that later in Acts in Luke chapter 18. That stresses a similar principle of persistence. In verse 1, he says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always, always to pray and not lose heart. And he says in verse 7, And will he, and will God, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and and night. Will he delay long over them? Another thing that helps us to remember is about God's nature is, is God's nature in regard to time. You know, uh, waiting for a, a week, two weeks, a year, five or ten years to an eternal God, okay, who's always been. Get, get a perspective on God's timelessness as well and the fact, again, that God sees the big picture. Keep on praying with confidence in God's willingness. But secondly, keep on praying with confidence in God's trustworthiness. Keep on praying with confidence in God's trustworthiness. Then he goes to, in, in, as, as seen here in verse 9, he, he goes on to further encourage persistent prayer by giving a threefold mandate and the resulting promise. Look again uh, uh, there in verse 9. He said, so I say to you, again, this is follow-up to that parable, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
So again, the, the tenses of the verb here in the original language are very, very important. They are literally, again, in the presence tense, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And really wasn't until I studied this passage that I really saw the connection here to, to that friend at the door and how he kept on asking, kept on seeking, keep on knock, kept on knocking. And, and, it, and it's even a, a, an intensifying, an a, a increase, if you will, in intensity. And that's how, that's how we should pray and, and, and to con- continue to do so. So again, remember, God is unlike the friend in the parable. He's willing. Uh, again, this man, the man there whose door he was knocking on, he had made no promise to his friend. I, have a, I, don't, I don't believe that he said, you know, anytime you run out of bread, Anytime you have any out-of-town guests at uh, midnight that come to you, just anytime, come on over to my house. Anytime you need it, I'll have bread available. He never made a promise to him like that, most likely, did he? I have a feeling in the future when he saw him, you know, if they remained friends after that night, he would have said, hey, you don't have any friends coming tonight, do you? You know, let me know before a little earlier next time if you need some bread, all right? Uh, I doubt he'd made any kind of promises like that. Uh, but, but God has made a promise. And the Lord Jesus is making a promise to us here. As he says, again, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And then he says, verse 10, for everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open to you. So again, Jesus is reaffirming this promise of what God is saying he will do. And he's showing to us here the nature of God's trustworthiness. God is trustworthy. God doesn't break his promises. See, what what do we often do? Well, again, we often put God in the same category that we put people. And people do fail us, don't they? Absolutely they do. Are people always good at doing what they say they're going to do? No. Have you ever failed to always do what you said you would do? Of course you have. Because you're human. You don't know the circumstances. You don't know the ins and outs. You don't know like God knows what's going to happen. But God is perfect. He is righteous in all his ways. And he always keeps his promises. And so again, he's reiterating this promise here in verse 10 that when we pray biblically and persistently, God answers according to his will. And, and let me just share a verse with you. First John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we ask of him. I can remember as a teenager reading some of the promises of God concerning prayer, and I thought, is that really true? Are these promises of God really true? Well, folks, they really are true. God is true to his word. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. And of course, we know as you study the rest of scripture, there are some important uh, conditions to prayer. Let me name just a few of them. I won't take time to uh, give a scripture to them, but I encourage you to do so. Of course, scripture tells us we're to pray in faith. James certainly talks about that, not, not wavering. Uh, keep, pray in faith. More than one passage tells us we must pray believing, pray in faith. Secondly, we're to pray in Jesus' name. Pray in Jesus' name. And, and uh, that's not just adding that on the, name, at the end of your prayer. That's praying consistently with, with the way Jesus would pray. Again, as we sang today, it's praying to his glory, that the outcome of that prayer would bring glory to Christ. Pray in Jesus' name, in the authority of Jesus. Thirdly, James says we're to pray with the right motive. With the right motive. If we don't ask with the right motive, we can expect that prayer to be answered. We must pray with a clean heart. 
Uh, not, not, uh, we must be in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. That's, an, that's a condition of prayer. And number five, we are to pray, as we see here, in the will of God. In the will of God. Well, you say, well, pastor, that's the problem. How do we pray? How do we know the will of God? Well, that one way that's a very clear way to pray in the will of God is to pray in the Word of God. Pray according to the Word of God. That's why Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom. What does he mean by that? We're to be so permeated with the Word of God, and that's what the word richly means. That's why we need to be in the Word every day, soaking up the Word of God, meditating on God's Word. And, and you say, well, that's the problem. I don't understand. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Keep on reading. Keep on waiting. Keep on listening to God as well. Uh, and, and so again, we stay in God's Word, learning it, applying it, memorizing, med- meditating on it so that it permeates every part of our being so that as we pray, we are praying according to the Word of God. Jesus uh, gave a, a similar uh, word to us. In, uh, in John 15, 7, he said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you or dwell or live in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When you're so full of God's word, then you are therefore able to pray according to the will of God. And so there's some things that are very clear. And I won't, again, take time to try to go into all of them today. But there's some things that are very clear in the Word of God. It is clear in the Word of God that we are to pray for lost people to be saved. It is clear in the Word of God that it is God's will for people who don't know Christ to know Christ and to be convicted and brought to faith in Christ. John 6, uh, 40, and this is one among many. Jesus said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says, those who believe on me will have eternal life. This is the will of God. Only those who repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Christ and surrender to him as Lord, only those will be saved. And, and, And yet it is right for us to pray that people, that lost people who don't know Christ, we know we're praying in the will of God when we pray for lost people to be saved. And there are numerous places in Scripture. That's one example. There are numerous places in Scripture where God is very either direct, this is the will of God, or indirect. Anytime the Word of God tells us this is what we're to do, then we know that's the will of God. Amen? And so, again, you pray in the will of God when you pray according to the Word of God. God. So keep on praying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Don't give up. Keep on praying for these things we know to be the will of God that will bring honor and glory to God. Well, but then there are other concerns that aren't quite so clear. Would you agree? For example, when we're sometimes praying for someone to be healed, we all know what it is, and we've experienced it recently. When we've prayed for people to be healed. And they weren't healed, at least not down here. Amen. Uh, Some have experienced the ultimate healing. But but how do we know whether it's God's will to heal or whether it's not? Well, we don't always know that, do we? Exactly. And so, so again, uh, God is able to heal. We believe that. We know that. We've seen God heal. God does heal. But God doesn't say in his word that it is always his will for sick people in every situation to be healed. Sometimes God gets more glory 
by allowing that person to go through that illness and that sickness and even to take them home. And so we have to trust God, again, because He is trustworthy. It's not always as clear what His will is. So therefore, what do we do? We're to pray. We're to ask God to lead us in how we are to pray, to reveal to us His will in this matter, and to lead us in our praying, that we may pray in the Spirit. But even then, there are times when, when it seems uncertain to us. So what do we do? We keep on praying. We keep on trusting. We keep on asking. We keep on seeking. We keep on knocking. Trusting God in His holiness, in His goodness, in His trustworthiness, that our God is a good God and that we can trust Him in these matters. And so that is my encouragement to you. And then there are other times when God in our, in our praying will, will redirect us in our praying and will show us how to pray differently. A Bible, uh, believer's Bible commentary says a no answer to our prayer means that he, God, knows our request would not be the best for us. And his denial is better than our petition. Well, if God, again, is willing and able, and especially when it is in the will of God, why does he delay? Well, folks, again, God sees the big picture. God knows what we don't know. And again, that is where we have to trust God. We trust his willingness. We trust his trustworthiness. And know that God is a God whom we can trust. Bob Utley said, The best thing believers get in prayer is a growing relationship and dependence on God. So in the process of your continuing, the process of your persevering in prayer, your persistence in prayer, hey, you're still a winner, amen? Because the more time you spend with your heavenly Father, the more you get to know Him the better you get to know Him, the better you get to love Him, the better you get to worship. Because again, re remember, prayer is more about God than it is about you. It's about God getting glory. It's about you coming to know Him in all of His goodness and His holiness. And the way you get to know Him better is by, for one way, spending time with Him. Jo George Mueller, a man, a great prayer warrior, we'll say more about him in a few moments. He made this statement, the stops as well as the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Let me say that again. The stops, as well as the steps of a good man, are ordered of the Lord. You can trust, keep on praying with confidence in God's trustworthiness. But finally, keep on praying with confidence in God's goodness. In God's goodness. We've already seen this parable, then this word that Jesus gave us about continuing, but then notice this illustration in verses 11 through 13. He uses another comparison to illustrate God's goodness. He says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Again, he's, he's really showing uh, the comparison of earthly fathers to our heavenly father. You know, sometimes we hear things that happen on the, the news reports, terrible atrocities that human fathers do. And our, it turns our stomach when we think about some of the terrible things. And we hear about the abuse and we can't imagine that. But you know, on the other hand, I've known some earthly fathers I even know of a, of a father who claims to be an atheist 
that loves his children, that spends, times with his ch- spends time with his children. I believe he's faithful to his wife. He, he could be nominated for the father of the year. So even sinful men, but even men at their best, even the most godly father you could ever imagine. You know what I know about him? He's still a sinner. If he's saved, he's a sinner saved by grace. So even at our best, fathers mess up. And so Jesus is saying, what, what father among you? If his son asks here for, for a fish, something, he's hungry and he wants a fish, and you, you give him a snake? Or if he wanted some, some bread that he's hungry and you give him a rock, a stone, while those fathers standing around say, no, we wouldn't do that for our children. That's terrible. That's cruel. I can't imagine that. He's not talking about somebody that wants to play jokes on people. He's talking about somebody that's really in need. No, earthly, good, well-meaning earthly fathers, even, even in their sinful state. And so, so Jesus said, no, of course not. And then what, look what Jesus said in verse, in verse 13. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father? Let's stop right there. How much more? Again, what a a comparison. And here again, another contrast. In essence, he's saying there's no comparison. So don't question God's goodness when you pray and don't see immediate answers. Folks, listen, we are so often tempted, are we not? in our humanity, in our sinful hearts, in our flesh of who we used to be, to question the goodness of God? Is God really good? Why hasn't God come through? Why does he let that happen? We know the world asks those kind of questions. We know unbelievers ask that question. But sometimes we're even tempted to ask those questions. Am I, am I being transparent with you this morning? Is, am I the only, only one who's ever questioned whether God is good? Sure. In our flesh, in our We're tempted at least to do that, are we not? Jesus said, don't question the goodness of God. If you as a a human father, as a human mother, would, would would, would want to do the best for your children, God is perfect. He is righteous. He's the most perfect father who ever lived. And so you can trust him. You can trust his goodness. Stop comparing him to earthly fathers. And we're living in a day, quite frankly, men, let's face it, Hunter and I were talking about the other day, and, and Julio and Adalia, we were talking about, we, we've been having our Bible study. And I know a lot of the reason these men hadn't been able to come is because they work late. I mean, they don't get home till late. But in every culture I've been in so far, and I've been in several countries and cultures, you know where the weakest link is? Men. Men. Not being the men they ought to be. I praise God for you godly men in our church family. I love you and I'm so grateful for you. But in our society, one of, the, one of the greatest and the weakest links in our country is men not being men, not being the men of God, not being the kind of godly men. But dear friend, don't compare God to sorry men. God is perfect. He is righteous. He's holy. He's good. And we can trust Him. So keep on, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking for those things that God says we can look at. And if you're tempted to question God, Just look at the cross. Just look at the cross. What did Paul say, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, 32? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Graciously. God's nature is to give. God's nature is good. He's great. He can do anything. He's good. He always does the right thing. Amen? 
So trust him, Jesus is saying. Don't give up. Keep on praying with confidence in God's goodness. But notice what he says, what he says God gives to us. Verse thir- the second part there, verse 13, Jesus, uh, Jesus told us, if you then being evil know how to good give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, God is God. God is one God who's manifest himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So not only did God give the gracious gift of Jesus, the great gracious gift of the Lord Jesus who loved us, who died for us on that cross, who took sin upon himself, who became sin for us, for whom all the holy anger and wrath against God, which we deserved for all eternity, was poured out on Christ. Oh, how gracious. We could talk about the cross the rest of the of our lives and eternity. But in addition to that, God the Father gave us the gracious gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who's just as much God as Jesus, just as much God as God the Father. Someone have called Him the neglected person of the Trinity. And you know, one of the reasons that is, is because one aspect of the Holy Spirit is that He doesn't draw attention to Himself. He gives all the glory to Jesus, and he's God too. He's just as much God as Jesus is God, just as much God as the Father is God. But he gives all the glory to Jesus. He gives all the attention to Jesus. And and yet, think about what he is to us. I like what John MacArthur said. He said, said, when you ask for a gift, he gives you the giver. To those who seek comfort, he gives the comforter. To those who seek power, he gives the source of power. To those believers who seek help, he gives the helper. To those seeking truth, he gives the spirit of truth. To those seeking wisdom, he gives the spirit of wisdom. To those seeking guidance, he gives the guide. To those seeking love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, or gentleness, self-control, he gives a producer of all those things. Think about it. The wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. The moment we repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ, He comes to dwell in us. Before that, He he convicts us of our sin. He draws us to Christ. He enables us to believe, to repent, to surrender to Christ. Then He comes to live in us. And He's our teacher. He's always with us to teach us the Word of God. He seals us back when we're saved so that we're saved for all eternity. Amen? And, and, and then, and then he, again, uh, He enables us. He empowers us to witness. He prompts us. He convicts us even as believers. Think of all the wonderful things the gift of the Holy Spirit means to us as believers. What a gracious and good, good Father we have. Friend, will that make a difference in your prayer life? If you're a child of God, it ought to. Because he invites you to come with boldness, with freedom of speech. Don't give up. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Claiming that wonderful promise that God has given to us. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far abundantly, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work, Within us, to Him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I mentioned that fellow, George Mueller. Many of you have heard about him, the fellow who had those orphanages and who uh, depended on God's power and God's provision. Never asked man for anything, just asked God for it and God always came through. 
demonstrated in that. But he also was a man who had a great heart for souls. And it is recorded that over his lifetime, he prayed for people and 30,000 people over his lifetime came to faith in Christ in answer to his prayer. But there were in his life several men whom he prayed for, three friends. He prayed for these people for over 50 years. Two of them actually for over 60 years. One of them was saved before his death, but one of them was not saved until after his death. But he kept on praying. He kept on believing. He kept on asking. He kept on seeking. He kept on knocking. And friend, I want to challenge us to do that. I want to, I want to urge you to do that. So what are some things we should keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking for God to do and not give up? What are they? Well, again, for lost people, for people whom we know need to be saved. I have them in my family. You have them in your family. We have some folks in our church who have unsaved spouses, unsaved children. Listen to me. We have lost people in this room today who don't know Jesus. And I want you to know we're praying for you. And when we meet on Monday morning, when we meet on Wednesday night, and other times when we gather, remember Jesus gave us this prayer. It's a family prayer. It is important to pray alone, but the Bible tells us there's power in praying together. There's power in united prayer. That's why you men who can be here on Monday morning ought to be here. Amen? I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'll let God deal with you if you can, all right? I'm not trying to put conviction on you. If you can, please be here. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking for those who are lost. And let's share with one another. Let's bear one another's burdens. I want you to pray for my son or sons who are not right with God, who are not saved. All right? I need you to do that. Would you do that? Would you join with me in that? And, and I want to do that for you. Keep on praying for our lost neighbors. Hunter and I talked about it the other day. We're surrounded in this building by lost people. Now, is that just an accident or a coincidence? No. God put us here. Now, this is not our church. This is just our building. But we have lost people all around us. So we need to intercede for these folks. And you have them all around you in your neighborhood. Do you know them? Keep praying for your lost neighbors. Keep praying for your lost family members. Keep on. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. What else should we pray for, Pastor, that way? We should keep praying for our church family. We should keep praying for God to bring unity, revival, health, to His honor and glory so that we can impact this community, this city, this county, this state, this nation, this world to the glory of God. Keep praying. Keep praying for the advance of the gospel. That's what we said Jesus, one of the things Jesus meant when He said, Your kingdom come. Keep praying for the advance of the gospel here and to the ends of the earth, to the end of the earth, to the end of time. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Keep praying for this nation. Amen? Some of you are ready to throw up your hands and give up. But I don't want you to know, read the histories of revival. Go read your Old Testament again, all right? And see how far away the people of God got from God. And yet, praise God, there are revivals in the Old Testament. When, and, and, and there's some folks that are believing that, that, that God's going to bring revival to His church and then spiritual awakening to His nation. And sometimes 
We have to get mighty low. You say, have we ever been any lower than this? Perhaps. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Keep on crying out, as he said there in Luke 18, night and day. Because, folks, God is allowing us to get in on his purpose and his plan in the process. Amen. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions, or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.